Hi, and welcome to AFBC Insights. I'm Annie Swingen, Director for External Relations at the American Foreign Policy Council in Washington, D.C. On today's episode, I'm talking with AFBC's Central Asia Caucus Institute Director, Svante Cornell, about the changing politics in Central Asia. Hey, Svante, so have you made it back safely from Sweden? Good day. Well, uh, we've had a conference uh, for the CANCAV, which not everybody knows is a world region that stands for Central Asia, Mongolia, Caucasus, and Afghanistan, which uh, has been uh, something that the uh, Central Asia Caucasus Institute at AFPC has been doing for now over 10 years. Um, this uh, conference brings uh, together some of the brightest young minds of the region and of interested outsiders like ourselves. And the focus this year has been very much, of course, on the uh, pandemic and its effect on this region, which uh, I think everybody will agree it is very early to, uh, to tell what the consequences are going to be. Uh, a certain, certain number of things can already be said. The first is that the pandemic has hit the Kamka countries uh, very differently. On the whole, however, uh, the, uh, the region has been hit relatively mildly, definitely compared to the United States and Europe. Uh, we could debate the reasons for that, whether that's because of luck, uh, because whether it's a function of their relatively limited integration into the world economy, or whether they have had good policies. These are all uh, questions that people will discuss for some time. Uh, there are differences between the countries, uh, which largely relate to their levels of economic development. Countries like Armenia and Tajikistan have had relatively significant problems, whereas Georgia, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan are those that have handled the pandemic itself rather well. Uh, there is a public health aspect, of course. There is also, uh, perhaps in the long term, uh, equally or more importantly, the economic aspects and implications. Um, where the economic downturn is almost a deja vu for this region. Uh, they were just recovering from the oil price collapse of 2015. Uh, as uh, many of our uh, viewers probably know, this is a region that is very dependent on hydrocarbons. Countries like Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan are just like uh, Russia, big uh, exporters of energy. But the thing is that even countries that are not are dependent on the energy importers because they have large migrant worker populations that are either in Russia or in Kazakhstan or elsewhere. And therefore, uh, if oil, oil producing countries are doing badly, the rest of the region is also doing badly. Um, now, the 2015 crisis was one that led to enormous devaluations of currency. Everywhere in the region, we saw devaluations of up to 40%. So it was really a serious economic crisis that was a stress test for banks and for the whole financial system in the region. And this is in a way perhaps a blessing in disguise because first the, there is already a sort of um, experience of crisis among decision makers across CAMCA, uh, but there is also uh, a, there, were, there were steps taken to engage in serious reforms in many of the countries to, to shore up the banking system and to have a more stable financial system uh, and also to uh, attract foreign direct investment. And uh, several countries uh, had done relatively well in engaging in serious reforms to diversify their economies. Obviously, they were at the starting phase because diversification is something everybody speaks about, but nobody really knows how to do. Um, but because uh, of this, there were serious efforts in Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan primarily, and also in Kazakhstan, to make the economies more transparent, to get rid of some of the monopolies in the economy that existed and prevented competition, 
and also in making uh, in in making the systems of uh, export import trading tax paying uh, less uh, less affected by corruption now um, this probably means that 2020 has not been quite as bad a shock as it would have been if it hadn't been for this uh, earlier crisis and the lessons learned from that crisis. Now, in the region itself, I think uh, there are certain lessons that can be drawn. Um, the, uh, the region is subject to the interest of great powers and also to the pet uh, regional institutions promoted by these great powers, primarily Russia, with its Eurasian Economic Union. Uh, but I think what the uh, one of the lessons the countries are drawing is that the great powers are not necessarily very helpful when it comes to handling domestic crises. Uh, the great powers talk their talk, but they don't necessarily offer any support to countries that they want to see as part of their institutions when push comes to shove. Um, uh, the um, scholar Edward Lutwak has called um, great powers autistic in this sense. And I think this is a very fitting metaphor because this, this, uh, this uh, crisis has really shown how all great powers really have been focusing on their self-interest and not supporting even the countries they want to draw into their own sphere of influence. Uh, probably I'll stop here and I'll be glad to, uh, to, uh, to discuss any matter further that you'd like to raise. All right, thanks, Fonte. Um, the countries of Central Asia and the Caucasus have fared the pandemic pretty well so far uh, as compared to both Russia and China. How is the virus changing Russian and Chinese ties to the region? I don't think we know yet. I think um, the, um, there are several possible effects. One is uh, that the Russians uh, are going to try to play along with the Chinese uh, role, if you will, in, in a more hostile Chinese-American relationship. I think it's fairly clear that the, China, that the Russians will side with the Chinese and ingratiate themselves with the Chinese uh, in a way that will um, perhaps mitigate some of the difference they've had in Central Asia. As some people have argued, Russia's Eurasian Economic Union is actually a way of uh, securing control over Central Asia, not against the West so much, but against China and the Chinese encroachment that the Russians are seeing in, in the region. Obviously, the Russians are not raising this um, publicly because they are very much dependent on China, especially in the confrontation with the West that they are. So Russia and China might be driven closer together by this. Uh, that's very likely. Uh, on the other hand, for the countries in the region, I think they've been, they've been rather uh, carefully watching how the Chinese and the Russians have, are behaving. Uh, in the middle of this crisis, there was a little dust up between Uzbekistan and Russia because Uzbekistan uh, made a uh, formal decision that within its governing institutions, only the Uzbek language should be used. Um, and, and that is, of course, because across the former Soviet Union with Russian educated uh, public servants, the Russian language still continues to be used in writing even in in many countries. Now, the, after Uzbekistan resolved that they would use only their own language, the, um, the, um, the Russian foreign ministry made a uh, determination that uh, this was anti-Russian and this was hostile to the interests of Russian speakers. And this was something that did not go down very well at all in, uh, in, Uz in Uzbekistan. And uh, that's just one example of how the, the region has uh, what the region has to deal with. 
Another example is uh, the general Chinese uh, aggressive behavior, which predates the virus, of course, but which has gotten worse as a result of the virus, not so much specifically in Central Asia, but I think uh, they are very much aware that there is a different type of China that we're all dealing with right now. And they are uh, eager to find ways of reducing their dependency on both the Russians and the Chinese, but they're not really sure how feasible that is. All right, thank you. Um, speaking of Uzbekistan, uh, we know that we've seen a significant movement towards political and economic reform there. And it's inspired other governments in the region to sort of follow suit. And I'm wondering if there is a danger that COVID will derail or stall this process at all? I think it could go either way. Um, we actually have a paper being produced by two uh, regional scholars that's about to come out in which they have scenario analysis uh, about this. And um, one of the scenarios is that the pandemic really uh, does spur countries to do the kind of reforms that they know they have to do but haven't really been wanting to do. And then there is an opposite scenario in which they really pull back and and just becoming increasingly cautious and, uh, and so forth. Uh, so far, it seems to me that the, the government in Uzbekistan realizes that there is no half measure. You can't really stop in the middle of these reforms and that you have to continue. I don't know if it will accelerate it or if it's just gonna keep going in the same direction, but I, I would be surprised if they, if they, uh, if they actually slow down or, or halt some of this reform uh, at this point. And one of those papers coming out? We hope to have it out this week. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, another question for you, super easy, softball. Um, Eurasian politics are naturally overshadowed by the growing great power competition taking place between the US and China. What are the risks and opportunities here for regional states? So if you're sitting in Central Asia, you see this US-China thing on a global level. I don't think you see that in the region. You see a certain element of it in terms of the U.S. Uh, strategy for Central Asia being developed and all the, the U.S. also beginning to develop financial instruments that are more sustainable than the Belt and Road Initiative. But I think there is very little expectation in the region that the United States would be sufficiently present uh, to be a serious counterweight to China by itself. Um, what you see happening actually is that the uh, the region is very much aware or the leaders in the region especially in the two stronger countries of central asia uzbekistan and kazakhstan are very much aware that the um, uh, there is a great power competition grabbing grabbing the globe if you will and that's the environment in which they find themselves uh, now, how do you deal with this is the question. And I think what they have found is that they have to band together, that they are refusing basically to be the objects of international politics and just to be exposed to the winds of the great powers, including the US, the Chinese and the Russians and whoever else. Uh, but instead they're going to be actors uh, in their own right. They're going to take charge of their own region. Uh, it's easier said than done because there are many differences between uh, between the countries in the region, especially smaller countries that like the um, uh, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, that may be more skeptical towards regional cooperation. But on the whole, in the past several years, the, the Uzbeks and the Kazakhs ha have really taken charge and essentially announced to the great powers, 
among other, including a UN resolution that they had everybody else endorse. But Central Asia is a region in its own right, and uh, Central Asians themselves will, will be responsible for the future of their region, which seems to me that is a response to what they feel to be the uh, growing uh, you know, dance of elephants, if you will, between the Russians and the Chinese, and they don't want to be stuck in this, uh, and therefore are are trying to assert their own um, their own role. I think there there is still a tendency to view these as you know weak post-Soviet states, uh, but if in the cases of countries like Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, we're really talking about countries that now have almost thirty years of experience in government. They also have uh, serious functioning institutions. For example, they are able to handle the threat of radical Islam relatively well. They're not, this is not something that spooks them anymore the way it did 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and they are able to cooperate with each other in ways that we wouldn't have thought was possible before. So even if you're China, even if you're Russia, uh, these, are not, these are not places where you just walk in and dictate your, your will. Uh, these are these are countries that actually have their own interests and are willing to defend uh, and advocate for themselves. Last question, Svante. Russia has long viewed Central Asia and the Caucasus as its geopolitical backyard, and it still does. Uh, but what we're seeing is growing independence and connectivity among the countries in both regions. Does Moscow see this as a threat? And if so, what is it doing in response? Well, the Russians are definitely not happy. They have made it clear to countries in the region previously that uh, if you are to organize, you can't do it without us. Anything you do, we have to have a seat at the table, which means basically that Russia is supposed to run the show. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if you just look at what happened recently, uh, they are not helping their case. Uh, first, the, uh, the, uh, like I said, the Russians are making strong arguments for Uzbekistan to join the Euro Eurasian Economic Union. And because of its landlockedness and not having clear you know, economic outlets, they've been considering that seriously. Kazakhstan is already in the Union, as is Kyrgyzstan. Um, but then suddenly the Russians start this oil price war with the Saudis, uh, which has serious implications for the economies in Kamka, without really consulting with anybody, obviously. Uh, second, the pandemic hits and the Russians begin to send aid to China, aid to the United States, basically publicity stunts and most of the stuff is useless as we know, but they forgot to really send anything to people that are actually part of their own institutions like the Eurasian Economic Union. I mean, they did send a little bit to Kazakhstan, but that was very little and very late. Um, and then not staying at that, the Russians shut their borders to all Central Asian migrants. Now, uh, we, we've seen the freedom of movement being interrupted in Europe as well, for example, and elsewhere. But for Russia, all of this does not really make the Central Asians uh, think that they're, you know, Russia has their best interests at heart. They really acted in a way that ignored the interests of their partners, only focused on their own short-term short priorities. Now, if you're Uzbekistan, considering whether to join the, the Eurasian Economic Union, I don't think rather Russia has exactly strengthened its case, uh, case for that. So... Overall, it seems to me that uh, we see a pattern that's developed that happened many times before, which is that the Russians make strong um, uh, bids for regional leadership, but countries that end up uh, cooperating with the Russians, embracing the Russians, always come to regret it. Uh, and this is something that seems to be a very important lesson for the region. Thank you so much for your time, Svante. Um, Thank you. <laughs> we've posted uh, all the panels from the Kempka conference on our website, and we can also find them at the Rumsfeld Foundation's Facebook page. And I look forward to talking to you soon.
Absolutely. Right. Take care. You too.